0: The Illinois Association of Chiefs of Police, we're kind of spending the year highlighting our committees and our committee chairs. So each month we're going to spotlight at least two committees, and you are one of the committees that we are looking at is the legal committee, which you are the chairperson of. Um, so just introduce yourself.
1: Hi, I'm Don Uh <laughs> and I am the chair of the of the legal committee.
0: Tell me a little bit about yourself.
1: Oh, uh well i've been I've been uh, a member a participating member from the with with the uh, illinois chiefs for about 20, um, 27 years twenty eight years um and I think I've been the chair of the legal committee since nineteen ninety seven so that's that's how many years now that's uh 17 i guess uh, i guess yeah i guess this is my 26th year as the the chair of, of the of the committee um so uh uh my background i when i first uh, came to the uh, to the uh, illinois chiefs i was the um i was the general counsel for the chicago police department um so i, I held that job uh, i'm uh i'm uh, an attorney uh by trade so uh, and I've never been a sworn sworn police officer but uh um but I worked for uh, for CPD uh, as a general counsel I also worked for the state's uh, corrections department as the chief legal counsel there so I've got some experience in a couple of different areas of uh, uh of the law I've spent a lot of time as a uh, when I was uh actively practicing as an attorney I was uh, also the chief assistant corporation counsel for the, the city of Chicago. So I represented the city uh, in a lot of the custom policy and practices practice cases that were brought pursuant to uh, uh, 42 USC section 1983. So uh, I've got some familiarity, uh, uh, some particular familiarity uh, with civil litigation in the context of, of Um, the federal claims that are brought against uh, police officers. Um, I sort of left the active practice of law, uh, the full-time practice of law Um, in about uh, 2003 when I became the uh, Deputy Commissioner for Safety and Security for Chicago's Department of Aviation. So I managed the security operations for O'Hare and Midway airports uh, um, for about uh, three or four years. And then I uh, finished my career with the city. Um, as a uh, as the first deputy for the city's office of emergency management communications, so I've had some experience both on the operational side and on the um, on the legal, uh, you know, kind of on the legal and policy side, uh, even at, at the executive level of the Chicago Police Department and the, the state's corrections department. So I think I've got some. Some kind of broad experience there, and uh, I guess the only other thing I would uh, would say is that been that after I left uh, government service in 2007, I've uh, been uh, doing work, uh, consulting work primarily, uh, along lines of, of technology uh, for for security related uh, concerns. Um, in the airport space, but also in the law enforcement space. So um, that's a particular area I think an expertise I've developed over about the past uh, 15 years or so working with um, new technologies. Um, Some of the stuff I'm kind of playing around with now are things like AI and uh, facial recognition, which is kind of a subset of AI and and sort of information systems uh, to help police better understand the operational environment and, and look at things like uh, predictive policing and those sorts of things so that's that's kind of my my uh my active practice I'm also a retired uh from the Army Reserves I retired as a colonel in 2009 so so I'm enjoying my uh my, my military pension such as it is uh, but that's uh, so that's a little bit about myself and, and uh, the things that uh, that I've been doing. And as I said, uh, been the uh, chair of the committee since um, since 1990, I think
0: 1997. What drew to you to the legal world?
1: Well, you know, I mean, I, I left, uh, you know, when I left uh, law school I, at first, I, I went to work for a couple of large law firms. I didn't really care for that area of practice. I always wanted to do um civil rights defense work for for government for law enforcement officers so um, that was always my area my passion kind of within the within the legal sphere and I spent you know several years as a trial lawyer defending uh defending police officers defending the city of chicago uh, I, you know ultimately uh, i i think i wanted to get more experience in terms of uh, operational issues and and to be involved as a as an operator not just as a and not just as an attor- as an attorney so uh, sort of uh, there were days when I was when I was doing attorney work where I longed to be like a general counsel and be more involved in, in um uh sort of the policy issues and the broader um applications of law to to an organization and then and then when I was in those jobs I longed to be a trial lawyer so um, but I don't think I longed to be a trial law- lawyer so much anymore I, I, I do like kind of settling on uh, working with the policy, and that's the opportunity that my participation um, in the Chiefs gives me. You know, while that's not my my day to day my day to day work or my day to day practice, um, I really think of of my work uh, with the Chiefs as as kind of my contribution to the law and my ability to kind of keep in touch with um, with those um, those legal issues
0: what are some of the committee's goals when it comes to being legal committee and, and being involved with the Illinois Association mm-hmm. of Chiefs of Police
1: well we're kind of a specialty committee really uh in, in a way um uh, you know i try to actively participate um uh with uh with the legislative committee and there are a few other lawyers um um that participate uh in in that committee a lot of uh the the real um Assigned goals of of the committee from um, from from the organization has been around the issue of of filing amicus briefs and making statements can sort of uh, on behalf of the uh, uh, of the the organization in terms of uh, issues of legal policy. Uh, those don't happen all the time, so we're not constantly writing briefs, but um, but we have we have weighed in on on uh, on issues a range of issues in front of a lot of different uh, courts we we've done amicus briefs to the US Supreme Court uh, amicus briefs to the to the um to uh, the Illinois Supreme Court uh some some amicus briefs um in in the uh, in in various Illinois courts of appeal um and we even just recently did uh, an amicus brief that we filed at uh um uh, at the district court level so uh whenever uh we receive uh, um requests for amicus or whenever one of the members of um of the uh, uh of the organization uh, uh has an, an interest in in you know in, in advancing in a position in in some piece of litigation we'll look at that at the request of the board and make a determination about whether or not an amicus can be filed. And uh, and then what what I do uh, is kind of there are sort of a loose group of of attorneys that uh, that frequently provide service. You see them a lot at the um, at the legal updates annually, uh, because that's one of the functions that we do is kind of do that uh, that training, the legal update training. Um, So those attorneys, uh, that that kind of group of, of the loose group of, of folks will contact them and uh see if we can get somebody to help write the amicus brief i've written a few um i've assisted on a few uh where we've also had other attorneys that have uh that have worked on uh, to provide the support and the amicus brief so that's uh that's a little bit about that function so um they said the, the first uh, one of the other functions that we do is is providing advice and in council kind of on the on the uh um, legislator front that over the past few years um that's particular take, <laughs> taken a particularly uh uh great amount of time uh particularly with a lot of the reform related issues and a lot of the reform movements uh that uh, uh, that we see so um so the, between the the advocacy in conjunction with with legislation, uh, the filing of amicus briefs on behalf of the uh, uh, of the organization, and the the annual training we do um, with the uh, legal update, that's sort of the functions that we perform.
0: What kind of challenges have you faced as um, the legal Humanity committee?
1: Well, you know, sometimes, you know, as you said, given the nature of the committee, which is is mostly lawyers, we don't really have much representation that comes directly from the organization. We've had a couple of chiefs that uh, that have been attorneys or or at least well, there may be more, but a lot of them don't want to admit it, which is understandable. Uh, But we've had some some chiefs uh, that have been been attorneys that uh, have participated, uh, George Wagner and, uh, Russ Lane, uh, names immediately come to mind, uh, and we're certainly always welcoming any chief who wants to participate in it, but a lot of the, uh, a lot of the matters that we focus on, uh, tend to be kind of technical, um, legal issues that require people to have, uh, sort of that, uh, that legal training. So, um, that's, so, so sometimes finding, you know, finding, uh, Attorneys to help support us can be can be a little bit challenging. But, as I said, I think we've we've kind of got a loose group of folks that 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 um, generally we can call on and 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 get assistance of uh, assistance from uh, pretty much any time. So uh, and at the end of the day, we've never been able to not fill uh, the legal update training issues or or have people to help us uh, with amicus briefs.
0: um what training would you say is key for officers to know? when it comes to respecting and knowing about the legal aspects of the job?
1: Well, there are there are uh, there are programs out there, uh, you know, that that actually provide that uh, um, that training for the for the Illinois Chiefs, um, different organizations, uh, 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 two that come immediately to mind: one. One, that's that's really a program uh, that uh, works in conjunction with with the Chiefs organization, and that's Court Smart. Um, that's a that's a very good program, um, kind of going over, updating and refreshing the law so that um, officers can have access to that. And uh, so, um, and I think they just actually had a, an article about Courtsmart in the most recent uh, edition of the Command magazine. Uh, Lexapole is another service out there that uh, that provides training. Um, I know that there's a, a company that's uh, that that I've been doing some work with that's looking to try to provide um, some de-escalation training for uh, uh, for police officers. Uh, you know, I think it's important for for officers to understand where where the law is and what the law is. So those trainings those trainings are important. I also think it's it's important to understand. Um, those areas that may not um, be currently the subject of of legal requirements but may soon become the subject of legal requirements. Now we have requirements for in-service training. Uh, Officers need to be mindful about that. Uh, De-escalation training, use of force training. Uh, There are lots of new requirements that have come online as a result of uh, the safety act and un, uh, unfortunately um, those requirements came online without um, any kind of real attention paid to resourcing them so uh, I know that that's a challenge for um for lots of departments uh particularly for the smaller departments but 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 even larger departments the 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 amount of training in and, and making sure that you can run, Everyone through these in-service training uh, cycles is going to be a um, a challenge for uh, for departments around the state, and so uh, understanding what those training requirements are, and then finding. Um, appropriate training through the MTUs or, uh, you know, or, or training that's been certifi- certified by the training board so that you can meet those statutory requirements, and I think is going to become increasingly important because the minute something goes wrong, um, the lawyers are going to ask to see the, tra- the training records of the individuals. And if the training records aren't up to date, even if the training may not really have a whole lot to do with the underlying problem, you could uh, you can rest assured that some creative lawyer will figure out um, that it really does or at least argue that it does. So so training is becoming, I think, increasingly important. And, you know, um, and and I think that the chiefs organization is looking to try to step up and involve itself uh, in the training. And, and, and I think that's a good thing. I think that's uh, it's a it's a it's a good thing for our organization, both in terms of the services that it can provide. Um, to To the membership, but also I think it offers an opportunity for the for the organization uh, to kind of get into the training business, if you will, and 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 look at that as a potential source of revenue, a good source of revenue for the organization. So, um, so it's kind of a a, a, a win win, I think.
0: What kind of challenges do you see police departments facing right now? Like, what's the biggest challenge for police departments right now, in your opinion?
1: Well, I, I think clearly one of the one of the real challenges is just is is staffing and recruitment. Uh, that's clearly a problem. Um, we, you know, uh, it it tends to be a, an even greater problem for the smaller agencies um uh, because of their you know of limited resources and you know we we've looked at this issue of these uh you know just in terms of even the recruitment practices if you're able to recruit someone and send them through the academy um they'll come back to your organization for a couple of years and then suddenly they'll be recruited to some other organization that can pay them a little more money and better benefits and you know uh obviously young police officers are looking for those sorts of things and and so even keeping individuals at, at organizations has become challenging. So I think that, you know, I think that uh um that that recruitment and retention are are significant issues, you know, and, and then hand in hand with that comes training, because as you have more turnover, as you have more uh, uh more challenges with retaining people, uh the training becomes more important, more critical. Um and you know, the the requirements that are being placed on officers and in accountability measures that are being placed on, uh, on on officers are are increasing so making sure that people are uh, are appropriately trained and 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 they can uh, uh they can do their job is is i think our key measures to ensure accountability for you for you want to make somebody accountable you need to make sure that they Understand what the requirements are, that they're trained in those requirements, and then they have the skills and abilities uh, to to implement them. And I think that's the real challenge, particularly a challenge that's created by uh, legislation like the Safety Act. Again, that that for all the good reasons, you know, creates higher standards and, and creates accountability measures and, and and outlines training requirements. The the problem again is. Is that it comes it comes without a funding to support the mandate and uh, and that's going to be challenging for a lot of departments.
0: Well, I, along the lines of the Safety Act and, and the, that, what about the assault weapons ban? Do you see a lot more legal issues like cropping up from that? Not just the current ones, but you think it's going to continue and for how long?
1: Well, you know, I think uh, I think that the uh, the the assault weapons ban uh, will. Um, uh, will remain an issue of contention uh, and litigation uh, for the foreseeable future. I would imagine uh, for a year or two, uh, it will take to to wind its way through the courts to determine what what uh, portions of the act are unconstitutional, what portions of the act can be um, uh, can be implemented. Uh, I think I think one of the one of the challenges again that we that um that law enforcement is confronted with is is we have legislators that have uh, a firm grasp on what they think are really good ideas um and and philosophically um, they may be correct but the problem is that the devil is always in the details and unfortunately um I don't see the legislature as paying the kind of attention to those details um, that is necessary to make their en- enactments uh, ones that that can actually be enforced, or in some cases, you know, wh- whether or not they're even constitutional or, or permissible under the law. And, and I don't see kind of the attention or the focus of that. Um, in in the passage of these uh, of these kinds of, of pieces of uh, legislation um, and again we see the continuing problem with our state legislature where um, I don't think the positions of the of, of organizations that are going to be responsible for enforcing these acts or implementing them are really taken to account uh, in the legislative process uh, and so, uh, and so as a you know as a result the legislation comes out and there are all sorts of there's a whole host of unintended consequences um uh that the the legislature you know didn't anticipate because they essentially didn't do their homework on the front end in 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 accept the comments from organizations like the IACP, uh, the Illinois Association, Chiefs of Police, and, and other organizations. You know, the, 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 the Safety Act is a testament to that because we're on the, we're looking to the fourth trailer bill to fix problems um, in, in a piece of legislation uh, because, you know, it, it clearly was not what anyone intended, um, but, you know, the, uh, but, you know, in the legal business, words have meaning and words have power. And if you aren't careful with the words you use, you end up with results you're looking for.
0: Any tips or words of wisdom for police?
1: Well, um, yeah, always listen to your lawyer. <laughs> no, uh, I, one of my, you know, one of my, I guess, over the my my 26 years with the organization one of the the things that i've always stressed uh is that uh chiefs and and in municipal organi- municipal law enforcement organizations need to become more comfortable with the fact that the their the corp council or, or their their municipal council or your municipal attorney uh, is really the main legal advisor for uh, for your organization. I know that there's oftentimes a relationship uh, with state's attorneys, and you know, I know that state's attorneys are you know, um, they're their own separate political uh, office, and uh, you know, certainly with regard to criminal prosecutions, you need to have a relationship with them and an understanding about what they're going to prosecute and what they're not going to prosecute and how they want their cases served up to them. Um, But at the end of the day, um, the legal advisor for your organization, for the for your police department is your municipal counsel. If things go wrong or things go haywire or the lawsuit comes, it will not be the state's attorney who will be defending you. It will be uh, the municipal attorney and if there's liability um for your organization um you know or if there's liability that liability is not going to go to the county it's going to go to to your municipality so that relationship with with the municipal uh, attorney i think is is important and and oftentimes i don't think that um that, that chiefs um are as comfortable uh, exercising that uh um, that relationship uh as 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 I think that they should be. So you know, I guess that's my that's that's one piece of advice uh, that I have. The, the other is that you know, ultimately, um, the lawyer is 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 an advisor for you, just like other advisors. And and um, very infrequently will a lawyer tell you you can't do that because it's illegal. Um, they have advice about uh, about how to reduce risk. Legal risk for for your actions, but at the end of the day, um, there are other things that you have to consider beyond you know potential liability issues. There are issues of uh, um, you know public confidence and uh, those sorts of things. So I think that's important to to you know I I think it's important to have a good relationship with the with the attorneys and to listen to what they have to say. Uh, But I think sometimes lawyers can be a little overbearing. (laughs) And, uh, you know, their their word is not the law. Their their word is simply their opinion about the law.
0: Definitely some good advice. I wanted to circle back on one thing before we sign off, but you were talking about you were looking into um, legal issues when it comes to AI, and I thought that was extremely interesting. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that?
1: Well, you know, so there, you know, the the, you know, well, facial recognition, for example, is one sort of piece of 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 artificial intelligence and in and, and, and as we develop enhanced computing technology and as we're able to process more and more information um artificial intelligence can provide insights uh in uh, uh view data in a way to to provide you with with information that you yeah. ultimately you would not necessarily um be able to get or understand Without that kind of uh, without that kind of assistance or um, uh, w- w- without using those tools, um, the important part of AI, I think, um, you know, in facial re- recognition, for example, is an example of it. While it can be a useful tool and it can help you um, narrow a pool of suspects. Um, uh, in terms of an investigation that you might be conducting, um, it isn't a substitute for human uh, judgment. It isn't. A, a, it isn't a, sub, a, a substitute for a decision made by by individuals, and it's not. It's not something that's infallible. So, for example, if you're going to use um, facial recognition. Um, uh, in, in conjunction with conducting investigations, um, it's not going to establish probable cause for you. It's not going to be the basis for you to get a warrant. Um, it's a, it's a tool along with other tools that you can utilize to help, as I said, narrow the field and winnow things down and and um, help aid your investigation. But it's a not a substitute for an investigation and i think that's the big concern that people have about ai um there's a a a misunderstanding that somehow this will be a substitute for human judgment um and it it won't it's not but it's something i think that can aid humans in making better judgments and making them faster and more efficiently
0: all right anything else you'd like to add
1: no i think that's you know as i said uh uh we're always we're always welcome uh chiefs are always welcome to try and uh, to you know to participate in the things that we do as he said mm-hmm. i think we work fairly closely with the board and uh with the board of officers and with the exec board um in terms of of making the, uh the, the, uh making decisions and making judgments on uh, on on matters we we're kind of a service organization to the, to the rest of the committees and the rest of the activities of the chiefs and, uh, and, and happy to provide that service.